So I know that, uh, you know, the, the gleeful, self-hating Republicans, the self-hating rhinos, some of whom are like actually close personal friends of mine, uh, are all excited and jo joyful that Sarah Palin lost the special election. And of course, somehow they'll make it Donald Trump's fault because he supported her. But uh, in fact, losing that seat leads me to believe that all of their rhetoric and all of this anti-Trump stuff is, is hurting the Republican Party. It's literally hurting the Republican Party. And you all just keep doing it because you'll get what you, you deserve. You know what they say, you get the government you deserve. And right now, these people who have turned away, and, and you know, I, I looked at all the same things yesterday, last night, and this morning that everybody else has looked at. First and foremost, anyone who knows Donald Trump knows there were no you know, papers strewn around on the floor. Um, I do have to correct my guest yesterday, Paul Kaminer, said that the uh, carpet uh, reminded him, and he thought it was the carpet at the um, Department of Justice. And uh, the Trump team has not said that. Uh, nobody has denied that that was the carpet that's in the office of 45. But, you know, to, to, to look at that picture that was circulated yesterday because it's part of the filing, I think that violates the Espionage Act, really, because now the whole world knows what the color coding is for uh, top secret and, and really, really top secret material. They just put it out there. Now everybody knows. Red, yellow, okay. And just strewn about, which implies to the American public that Donald Trump was just like, you know, scattering top secret documents everywhere he went. The man is like a... a, a germaphobe, orderphobe. That was a staged photograph, and I think it violates a lot of different laws. But be that as it may, you know, the media is running wild and ecstatic, and the rhinos are ecstatic. And yes, my friend, you're a rhino now. These establishment types who, who say, oh, we got to get away, we got to get away, gotta look what's going to happen, oh, no, no, Sarah Palin lost, it. you know, really. This was the first time that Alaska ever conducted one of these stupid, I, I really don't like these uh, special elections that end up with this, uh, you know, you get to vote for everybody. Everybody votes, you get your first, your second, your third. She was down by three percentage points. This is for the seat that Republican Don Young held for, I don't know, a million years. He died in March. He was 88 years old. And so the state lawmaker, Maria Peltola, ended up winning a Republican seat. So Nancy Pelosi actually got a Democrat in a seat that was held by a Republican who will probably not be able, this Poltola, will probably not be able to hold on to that seat in November. And so that seat will, will have to be, uh, there'll, there'll be an election. She'll face a re-election, and it'll probably be Sarah Palin or Nick Be Begich, I think was the other candidate. But this ranked choice system where voters list candidates in order of preference on the ballot 
in order to be declared the winner, you got to clear 50%. Now, Mary Poltola is the first Alaska native to represent the state, a state where about only 20% of the population is actually indigenous, which is very high when you think about it. She'll be the first woman to hold the seat. The, the young was in there for 49 years. He was like the longest Republican in the history of the House of Representatives. And, uh, you know, so, so she won by a couple of percentage points in this stupid ranking thing. And immediately, everybody is like, oh, my God, it's Trump. It's the Trump effect. No, no, it's not. And let me tell you, I have turned off so much and turned away from so many people. And I have friends who continue to email me. There's three of them I can think of right off the top of the bat that don't realize I know they're emailing me because I check my spam and my trash folders just to see how many times they sent me emails because they go right there. And they just, they're relentless. They won't give up. They, they're, they're giddy. When anything happens that they think, ooh, this shows you, you, you got to get away from Donald Trump. It's all about Donald Trump. It is all about Donald Trump because they know he's the only hope. They know that if he gets into office again, their days are numbered. So go ahead and blow it, you know. Uh, hey, I will not feel sorry for the Republican Party. I will, not, I will not feel sorry for the American people. If they run and they panic every time the Democrat Party and the members of the media, that's exactly the same thing, um, every time they tell you that it's Donald Trump's fault and you go, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're right, they're right. Okay, you know, uh, enjoy, enjoy defeat, that's all. As for me and my house, we're not going down that way. We may lose, but it won't be because of anything I did. You guys are gonna have to, uh, you're gonna have to pound your chests and wear hair shirts and everything else, and I will never let you forget it. Never, never, never. As we wind our way slouching towards Gomorrah, you know, with a party who thinks it's okay to, you know, perform hysterectomies and, and penolectomies, I don't even know what they're called, uh, castration, that's what it's called, and uh, radical mastectomies on children. Now, yeah, I, I, this is what you wanted, and this is what you're gonna get. They're going to have drag hours in your, uh, in your preschools where drag queens read stories to your kids. They're going to teach your children that the color of their skin is the final determinant in whether or not they're good or bad people. This is what you're going to get. You know, and I don't feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for me because I don't deserve it. I feel sorry for the people like me who stand firm in their principles. You should feel sorry for us because what you're doing to us is absolutely mind-boggling. You're doing to us what Democrats wouldn't be able to do to us if you just stood firm. That's all. But you can't. You're weak. You're insipid. And, and really, in my book, you're pathetic. And, and I'm sorry to say that. I really am. There are some people I love dearly, but you're pathetic. That's all. You don't have guts. Donald Trump has guts. Ron DeSantis has guts. 
but they're not the same man. And they can't do the same thing. And they could never withstand the same punishment. So instead of, uh, you know, positioning Ron DeSantis for future victory, anybody who keeps promoting him as the next presidential candidate for the Republican Party is dooming his career. That's all. And I just tell you uh, the way I see it. And if you don't like it, tough. You know, listen to Tom Hartman or, or you know, some other left-wing lunatic on, on the radio or, or just, you know, turn on uh, W, what is it, MSNBC. Turn it right on. You'll get exactly what you want. The, the Scarboroughs and the Andrea Mitchells, all that crap, the, all those liars, all those inbreds, all those, you know, hardcore Democrats, Go ahead, you know, because you're certainly welcome here. Ho I'm hoping that maybe it'll waken up uh, some spirit in you. Maybe you'll actually decide that it's more important to stand for something than to fall for everything. But hey, if not, I did my best. You know, I would have voted for Sarah Palin. I, di I uh, you know, I support her. I will support her in November. And I have no idea if this other person is, uh, you know... Uh, a good guy or a bad guy, but if she's going to be on Nancy Pelosi's team, I got nothing nice to say about her. That's all. I wanted to talk about the injustice of student debt in this bailout, just briefly, because my producer, Shireen, had pointed out earlier that it's just another bailout, and like, you know, why is everybody up in arms? We bailed out banks, we bailed out mortgage securities, we bailed out lots of things, we bailed out pharmaceuticals, we bailed out things we should have never bailed out. I get it, I get it. But all I want to tell you is I want to congratulate all of you who didn't have college debt because now you do. That's right. It, uh, there's no more uh, perfect way to explain what just happened than this decision by the president who's going to forgive up to $10,000 in student loan debt for some students and up to 20000 for those students who got Pell Grants to go to college. Now, mind you, you don't have to pay back a Pell Grant so then, just by virtue of the fact that you got free money once, you're now entitled to $10,000 more free money? So congratulations to all of you who didn't have college debt, you now do. And if you or your kids went to college and didn't take out loans, that doesn't matter. You still are on the hook for the debt that Biden has created. And I love when his, uh, you know, his, his, his crew comes out and says, oh, no, no, the debt reduction, that's what's going to pay for it. I've heard, how many times have we heard that? You're on the hook. You and I are on the hook for other people's college loans. Even uh, very high income get bailed out. Because if you're just less than 125000 and you're single, I think you're a high income person. If you're making $110,000 and you're single, why should you get a bailout? And if you and your spouse are making $240,000 a year, you're going to get a bailout. That is bad. But even if the cutoff was well below that margin, 125 and 250, it's still not just. It's still not just. It's unjust because people who literally had no role in taking out the loans are going to be forced to pay for those who did take out the loans. 18-year-olds get into heavy debt, blah, blah, blah. They don't know what it means. I feel bad for them. But if they were uninformed, that was a choice they made. They could have gotten information before they got into debt. They just didn't. Moreover, they might not have thought through interest rates much, but even an 18-year-old knows that when you get into debt, you have to pay. 
Now compare that, their situation with that of the people who are now going to be forced to pay in future taxes for this new federal debt. Even becoming very informed would not have helped them. Didn't help me avoid this situation because I had no choice. You know, a basic principle of justice is that people who make decisions should bear the cost of their decisions and that a government shouldn't be able to shift that cost onto others. Bailing out banks and homeowners during the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, the principle was the same then. Bailouts are wrong. I was against them then, I'm against them now. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest as well. And now I need to take a break. Don't forget to, to look at Joyce's daily download. All you got to do is have the app, the 850 WFTL app, and you can get that at your app store so far. Or go to the website, 850WFTL.com. You can hear all the podcasts and all of the spectacular things we have there for you, breaking news, all of that on your 850 app. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just, uh, I, I get so, um, I'm a person who believes in justice. You know, I, I want things to be above board at all times. And I feel as though, you know, I'm dealing with a, a Department of Justice right now that lies to its people. And that's extremely dangerous. If I can't trust law enforcement, then I'm basically, I, I might as well be living in, uh, you know, I don't know, Nicaragua, uh, Haiti. I, I, you know, name the place where there's been law enforcement that actually came against its people. You know, I remember the days of the Tonton Makut. And while maybe they're not breaking down my door and cutting off people's heads, they're, they're playing games with the American political system. They've chosen sides, even though they have been sworn to uphold the Constitution. And they twist and turn that Constitution. It's very frustrating for me to watch these so-called legal experts. You know, legal experts? Everybody's a legal expert now. I, I guess maybe some of them went to law school, but they don't sound very expert. How could you have two people telling you the complete opposite thing? One of them's got to be lying. These are not, you know, subjects for interpretation. It either is or it isn't true that a president has the right to declassify documents. It either is or it isn't true that someone uh, who has documents in their possession that might be considered uh, secret top secret, should be punished, you know, but only if they happen to be Donald Trump? I, I don't understand that. And, and I don't understand how I'm supposed to have any kind of confidence in these uh, in this Department of Justice, in this, uh, you know, Merrick Garland or, or, or Christopher Wray. I mean, for goodness sake, I got government that is literally... I got the FBI literally staging a photograph and then leaking it to the press. You know, that image of the classified documents, which, by the way, we're not quite certain, had already been declassified. Whether they want to believe that or not is not relevant. You know, the president has the right to declassify documents. So what they did was they, they, they scattered 
six documents labeled top secret and several others that were marked secret across the carpet in the man's office in his home. And and within that, they had the cover sheets which have the color, the coloring on them, you know. And so they literally did that as a way of convincing the public that they had incriminating evidence. I heard Cash Patel, who was the former chief of staff of the Department of Defense under Donald Trump and who has worked in the National Security Council, say that merely seeing the cover sheets amounts to hardly anything at all. Staging a photo op with cover sheets that say material is classified or not, government agencies use those all the time, he said. The cover sheets themselves are not classified, even when the cover sheet says top secret. It's just a cover sheet. It's supposed to be on top of documents that are classified. And what the pre president has publicly contended is that those documents at Mar-a-Lago were already declassified by him as the president. He said over and over again that any materials he kept, he declassified, and now the federal authorities are disputing that. And those agents violated the basic rules of executing a search warrant. Let's face it. Any federal prosecutor on national security cases will tell you, you handle the documents differently when you're searching a venue. You might take photographs of things as they were found because once you move them, you've interfered with the chain of custody and you interfere with the efficacy of their evidentiary value. To him, it's like walking into a murder scene. This is what Cash Patel said last night. It's like walking into a murder scene and finding the gun in the garbage can and one of the murder suspects on the ground and then putting the gun in the man's hand and taking a photo with him pointing it at the person that's dead. You're not supposed to do that. I mean, I, I don't have to be a forensic expert or a lawyer to know that. That's like investigatory uh, forensics 101. In that same court filing, the Justice Department argued that Donald Trump lacked the legal standing to ask for a special master because the records belong not to him, but to the United States under the Presidential Records Act. They also said that the court lacked jurisdiction to even entertain the claims, and even if it did, attend, appointing a special master was unnecessary because the government's filter team has reviewed all the materials and separated anything potentially subject to attorney-client privilege. So basically, they're telling the judge, we did the work already. What is the DOJ's problem and the FBI's problem with having a special master look at it? What do they have to lose? I'll tell you what they have to lose. They're worried that if a special master comes in and says, you guys got it wrong, their whole case is uh, done. So we'll know. I mean, right now in West Palm Beach, the uh, request for a special master is taking place. As soon as I hear anything, I will share that with you because I have a very, very, very funny feeling. When the FBI cleared everybody out of that house, it was with the, the, the this direct intention of setting up those pictures, that picture in particular. And how do I know, or how do you know, or how does Donald Trump know that they didn't bring those folders in with them. Where, were the officers searched before they got into there? Because if they were going to stage photos, then, uh, you know, why don't they go raid uh, 
President Obama's house. See what he's got. Or go raid Clinton's house. Maybe they could find her emails. And, you know, why not put up photographs right now of the things the FBI found on Hunter's laptop? They got Hunter's laptop. So come on, FBI, why don't you leak some pictures of what you found on Hunter's laptop? I'll tell you why not. Because that doesn't hurt, help you to, to hurt Donald Trump. That's why. Man, I'll tell you. We have no confidence anymore. They shattered any, any, any belief that we might have had at some point in our esteemed, esteemed law enforcement agencies. You know, prior to this, we were all still, uh, not the rack and file, not the rank and file. Well, now all I can tell you about the rank and file is they know what's going on. They know. That's why there are whistleblowers coming out like crazy because there are decent people, lots of them, in but most of them don't want to give up their cushy job. Anyway, let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm actually going to be speaking with my dear friend Adam Andreski um, because, man, I'll tell you, he, he finds, uh, oh, no, no, you know what? I'm going to spe- be speaking with, uh, that's tomorrow I'll be speaking with Adam. Today I'm going to be speaking with Kayla Tony, who's an associate counsel at First Liberty, and they look out for our religious freedom. So you don't want to miss this interview. You, they, they, they're working on some cases that are absolutely, I, I, I have to tell myself over and over again, this is what America has come to. This is as low as you can get. Stay right where you are. I'll be back. All right, and uh, welcome back. You know, I have an opportunity right now to speak with Kayla Tony. She's an associate counsel at First Liberty, one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most consistent and best serving the public organizations that's out there, uh, just preserving our liberties. And uh, you can see more. You could follow all of the cases that they're working with at their website, which is, I think it's First Liberty. You have to help me here, Kayla. I know I, I have it on my computer, but I, I'm not looking at my computer right now. Yes, it's firstliberty.org. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was ORG. And it's a fantastic site, and there's a lot of cases that have to do with our religious liberties. You know, my audience knows I'm the wife of a pastor, and I take religious liberties very, very seriously. And COVID really... Uh, challenged the Christian community, but we're challenged all the time. And I love this case that you wrote an op-ed about, which had to do with one of these, you know, uh, groups that students like to put together to exhibit the things that are important to them. You know, there's all kinds of groups in the country. Um, What happened to this Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club and this young girl who wanted to, uh, you know, participate in that? Right. Well, it's a pleasure um, to speak with you today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, What happened was back in 2019, a teacher at a high school in San Jose um, really decided to go after this FCA club. It was a very popular club. Um, Hundreds of students would come for free pizza and to hear about Jesus during their lunch hour. And it was just a really great outreach, especially to the student athletes at the high school. Um, But this teacher decided that their statement of faith um, went against his own views. And so he um, targeted them and started this campaign of harassment against them. And there were actually protests and just a lot of hostility um, toward the club and toward the students. And then the school district 
de-recognize the club so that it wasn't able to meet and be officially approved anymore. Um, and so the two girls who led the club decided to sue um, to protect their own rights, but also because they wanted future students to be able to continue meeting and to not be afraid of harassment. And so um, just this week on Monday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, ruled in favor of the SCA club and said that the school needs to recognize the club, just like it recognizes um, all sorts of other clubs for all sorts of students. And um, it's really a great win for religious liberty. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about harassment, I don't think people realize to what level um, the anti-religion groups, particularly, you know, I call them, you know, socialist and communist uh, leaned groups, will go to. They attack these kids. Uh, teachers attack them. Student leaders attack them. Uh, they got threatened on social media. They were targeted by their own school newspaper. And they they actually experienced, you know, teachers cursing them out and telling them that Christians are charlatans who perpetuate darkness. How did, they, how did we get That's to right. this point? It's, right. Well, it is really outrageous. Um, and I think what's so inspiring is the way that the students responded. Mm-hmm. Um, they always stayed respectful and kind. And the teachers, you know, they said plenty of bad things about FCA, but they couldn't find anything bad to say about these two particular student leaders. And I think that's a really great witness um, Mm -hmm. that they not only were willing to stand up for their religious liberty and for the liberties of students coming after them, but that they stayed kind and gracious and, you know, remained a good witness in the face of a lot of opposition. You know, you almost expect this in California because it's just they've completely lost their way. I mean, they got a governor who's now saying everybody has to drive, uh, you know, an electric car. And then yesterday tells them, but you can't charge it because we don't have enough energy. So it's just a crazy state. But the FCA, the organization, is everywhere. I mean, we have schools here in Florida that have FCA uh, groups meeting. I think I believe they're international, aren't they? Yes, yeah, it's an international ministry with thousands of clubs on both college campuses and high school campuses, and it's a really great outreach. A lot of famous athletes are involved, mm-hmm. and um, very few people have ever complained about the group. It's not discriminatory in any way. Um, it's really just a wonderful witnessing opportunity and a great way to reach coaches and also students um, with the love of Jesus. And there's so many groups that really are exclusive and don't allow other people. You know, FCA welcomes everybody. Their hope is that by their witness, they'll be able to, you know, lead somebody to Christ. But you got groups like, uh, you know, uh, whatever, the Asian Club or the African American Club, which are exclusive. You can't, they don't invite everybody. There are college mm-hmm. campuses and, and high school campuses that have black dorms and, you know, they, they're very restrictive and nobody seems to object to that. I mean, I do, but nobody else. But the minute you say Christian <laughs> or Jewish, uh, all, the, all hell breaks loose, literally. That's right. And that's something that the court really got right in its ruling this week. They said that because these other clubs are allowed to be distinctive and choose leaders and even members who share certain characteristics, like the Big Sister Little Sister Club is a great example. It's a wonderful idea to have mentoring for female students, 
um, and they don't have to allow boys and no one has a problem with that. And so, um, you know, it's not a bad thing that clubs have different focuses and appeal to different groups, but it means that the religious clubs need to be treated equally. And um, even though they're open to everyone, they have the freedom to choose leaders that share their religious beliefs. Um, yeah. If you allow the college Democrats to, or if you force the college Democrats to allow a Republican president, that would completely undermine the purpose of the club. And so similarly, Christian clubs should be allowed to have leaders who, who share their faith so that they're able to reach all students. Yeah. I mean, th- 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 this particular district admitted, this uh, school district in San Jose, that that they would let a white nationalist club exist, you know, as long as they let people who aren't white in, I guess. I don't know. Well, FCA will let anyone in as long as, uh, you know, they, they're seeking. Right, right. Absolutely. That was one of the more outrageous um, admissions that the school district made in court. Um, they said as long as a white nationalist club would sign a form promising to not discriminate, even if they didn't mean it, um, right. they would be approved, but the FCA club would not. And I think the judges really saw through that and realized that it was kind of a smokescreen. And the real issue here was that the school district was hostile toward these religious students and that needed to stop because the First Amendment protects students of all faiths from hostility from the government. Yeah, this is this is constitutional, what, what we're talking about. And, um, and it's about time that we let people express their faith. The, the separation of church and state doesn't mean you're not allowed to have faith. Um, and, and we've just misused that phrase over and over again until it almost has no meaning at all. Um, we we mm-hmm. had a, a Supreme Court ruling not that long ago where you know th- that the First Amendment allows people to live out their beliefs. If a, a coach wants to pray in the middle of a field, he's allowed. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I'm so glad you mentioned the Coach Kennedy case. That is also a First Liberty case. Mm-hmm. And um, my team was so honored to get to be a part of that, that wonderful decision. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. If the First Amendment protects teachers and coaches, um, at public high schools, how much more should it protect students who, you know, are teenagers who are just trying to live out their faith in, you know, a world that can be pretty, pretty hostile. I think, um, if anything, the Constitution respects the courage of, of students and teachers who are willing to take a stand for their faith. And it really should be an encouragement to all of us, um, and mm. especially to students at public schools, that they don't have to be afraid of speaking out, of standing up for what they believe in, because the Constitution protects that, and that's really the beauty of America. Mm-hmm. Free exercise clause says the government has to um, pay attention to my beliefs and my conduct. You know, the thing that that amazes me the most, uh, and I'm sure that that it does you as well, is a club like this probably ensures tranquility at a school more than any other club. Um, it, it really encourages people to live a life modeled after whether you're Christian or not. I don't think anybody is going to say that if you lived your life the way Christ lived his, that this would be a better world. <laughs> so it makes no sense to me that anybody would be opposed to this. I definitely agree. I think clubs like this are a wonderful way for students to express themselves 
to find like-minded students and really to reach out to others um, with the love of Jesus. And I think everyone benefits when we have a diverse society where we're allowed to talk about different beliefs and different views and where everyone is ensured of respect um, for the views that they hold. I think that's really important. And that's really one of the purposes of public education is to help people understand how to interact peacefully and kindly with those who may disagree. And I think our country can definitely use more of that. We shall say. And and by the way, you know, First Liberty, it, it doesn't only look out for the religious rights of people of my faith, but it also uh, looks out for religious rights for any group. I mean, you know, they, they were shutting down Hillel's in, in college campuses as if Jewish, uh, you know, students didn't have a right to have an organization where they felt uh, comfortable and could have discussions and bring in speakers. And, you know, First Liberty would fight for Islamic uh, people, whoever. Um, the Constitution is quite clear on this. We need to have a government that respects our religious beliefs. So I congratulate you for another win. You guys have been winning like crazy lately. And, you know, hopefully one of the great things that came out of the last uh, presidency was some just judges who actually understands what their job is, which is to faithfully interpret the Constitution and protect the rights of Americans. So I, I thank you. I thank you for coming on today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if, if you all are interested in learning more about First Liberty, please do check out our website at firstliberty.org. Um, we are proud to represent clients of all faiths free of charge, and um, we're honored to uh, continue the good work of upholding the First Amendment. Thank yeah, you so I'll much. Be, I'll be speaking with another one of the attorneys about the SEAL case next week. Th thank you for being on, Kayla. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. All right. Well, I, um, I'm going to take a break. We have one more segment left, but I do want to remind you that coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino, who uh, I have truly been enjoying. I, you know, I run hot and cold with everybody, I've decided. You know, there are some days when I can't listen to this person or that person, and then there are periods of time where I just think they're so on the money. And uh, he has been right on for the last uh, two weeks in, in every way, shape, or form. I don't agree with everything, but I certainly, I love the fact that he is passionate about law enforcement, and he has been in law enforcement his entire career until he uh, launched his uh, radio program, and I think he ran for Congress once, but, you know, you can respect law enforcement and not respect what's happening at the FBI. I'm tired of the president telling people, oh, now you want to defund the FBI. I don't want to defund it. I want to revamp it. How about that? I want to make sure we get rid of some of these crazies that have been in that organization for far too long and gotten away with far too many miscarriages of justice. That's all. And, and I believe we can do that if we elect the right people. Anyway, um, Ben Shapiro will be on at four o'clock and the WPTV news comes on at six o'clock and Jen and Bill back in the morning. But for right now, I have one more segment. Stay right where you are. So, you know, I, um, I, I'm not a big, uh, television viewer. I'm just not. Uh, I was one for a period of time, not very long. I'm, I'm a reader, and now I'm an audio book, audible book um, listener because it allows me to kind of multitask. You know, you can, 
you can cook and clean while listening to a book, which is phenomenal. You can't read and cook and cook and clean. So, you know, now that I've discovered that, I'm reading twice as much. I always read 10, you know, well, between five and 10 books a week. And now I'm like up to 10, 20. I don't know. It's crazy. Although some of them, I have to fast forward because, you know, 11 hours of somebody's voice, if you don't like it, is too much. But um, my husband watches a lot of documentaries and a lot of this Netflix stuff. I don't even know. I wouldn't know how to turn Netflix on one of our TVs if uh, if he, you know, God forbid if he ever left me, I'd, I'd just be sitting here staring blankly at a screen with a, a remote control in my hand and not knowing how to operate it. I mean, I know that you got to hit the menu. I don't, I just don't care. Um, so he's been watching this Netflix, I guess it's a series, about John McAfee. And I've always been fascinated by the story of, you know, John McAfee, who invented the uh, software that, you know, uh, he's a cybersecurity guy. And they made this documentary, I guess Netflix um, put up the money, and it's called Running with the Devil, The Wild World of John McAfee. And apparently he's not the only one watching it. This has become extremely popular. And now all these people that are in it are starting to come out and say, wait a minute, this is not accurate. I did not say that, or I said that in another context. And the first person who came out and is really upset was the ex-girlfriend who says they twisted her comments out of context. Uh, and they've been promoting it by saying, and by the way, let me admit, I've been watching it. I'm I'm fascinated by uh, John McAfee and his insanity, and you know, last time I heard anything about John McAfee, it was about fourteen, fifteen months ago that he died of suicide in a Spanish prison. Now they started with conspiracy theories right after that, but uh, the woman, the girlfriend, said in the documentary that she got a call from Texas that he's still alive. And now he's done this before. He's disappeared um, either after supposedly dying or um, escaping imprisonment or faking a heart attack and getting out of uh, jail. You know, so he's, he's, he's a real character and extremely smart and, uh, you know, invented this antiviral software, which everybody has. I mean, if you don't have McAfee, on your computer, you took it off because it, like, I think it comes with every computer I've ever owned. But this uh, woman, her, Samantha Herrera, said in an interview that she did with MarketWatch, a phone interview, she said she was frustrated and angry because the phone call that was supposed to have been from McAfee, she said was a mysterious voice and she couldn't tell whether it was McAfee um, but she started asking questions of the person that only McAfee would know the answer to, and the person didn't have the answers. So she said, I am so upset. They're making a <clears throat> load of money off my name, and I had always asked them to blur my face in this documentary. This is really shady and low. She said, I have two small children. I lost my job because of the notoriety that came out of this documentary. They trashed my name. People are harassing me on social media. 
And, you know, even the the Netflix movie, much like Running with the Devil itself, this is all about crazy, crazy stuff. Cryptocurrency and uh, death and sex and drugs and guns and, and deception and mani- manipulating the media and, and half-truths and mistruths and, and, and an ego. The self-aggrandizement of this McAfee, John McAfee, is crazy. And everything about his life has been crazy. And now they're saying that his body is stuck in a Spanish prison morgue because there are all these fights over his legacy. So I don't know what the truth is. The only truth I think that comes out of this is that uh, he was a bad guy long before fake news. And, you know, when you look at the footage that, that, that this is all based on, this documentary is based on this, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the guy, Rocco something. Um, Let me look, it's probably in this art. Rocco Castoro owns the primary footage used in the movie and claims the director and producers of Running With The Devil were not authorized to use the footage, but filched the pitch deck for his own documentary titled Running With John McAfee and denied him a producer credit and payment. So this curious films, that made this, made him sign a release, and now, uh, you know, everybody's fighting over what's real in the movie, what's not real. It never ends. John McAfee had a daughter, by the way, that um, still, obviously, is still alive, and she said that that John Mac, you know, part of the story is that John McAfee killed his father. Um, they didn't make that documentary. He, she said, what they did was they made a James Bond movie. Netflix, of course, is not answering any questions. Why am I surprised? Um, and and who knows? You know, the whole reason that John McAfee was on the run to begin with was that he was accused of murdering his neighbor and he and he went out on the lam, left the country. Um, but now through this documentary, they literally imply that he had killed his own father. Now, his father was beating him and his mother, so there may have been, uh, you know, some, some truth to the, that story. But my gosh, you know, everybody looks at these multi-millionaires, these oligarchs, these tech guys, and they think, oh, they're brilliant, and they, they, they make so much money, and they're just so, everything in life goes their way. This movie showed me that uh, these people live very sordid, messed up lives, lots of them. And, uh, you know, be careful what you what you ask for. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow if it be his will and he delays his coming. Do have an interesting guest plus Derek. Maybe not interesting, but he's always fun. My son at TMZ. So you don't want to miss tomorrow's show. Uh, That's my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. And remember, What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And no, I still don't know if we're going to have a special master or not. Um, So we'll see. 
and you'll know as soon as anybody else knows. I'm sure the following hosts will let you know. See you tomorrow. God bless you.